0: Hello, my name's Heather and this is my posh boyfriend, Max. Hello. And this is our podcast, Posh Things My Boyfriend Says. <laughs> Welcome to episode 12 of Posh Things My Boyfriend Says. This is the podcast where we explore what it's like to date across the social divide in Britain uh, the class divide that is and talk about all, all of the funny things that occur when that when that happens we're brave
1: intrepid explorers crossing yeah. the great divide
0: now this week um Max is making me do something that I really don't want to do <laughs> it's
1: gonna to be totally worth it <laughs>
0: my toes are already curled in anticipation um he wants us to um Rap.
1: So this is a culmination of a couple of <laughs> of different things. So first of all, um I think a lot of our excruciating awkwardness last episode talking about sex went down well. Let's talk I think about people sex, um
0: let's talk about you what's and that? Have you never heard this? I don't
1: know I don't think so. Okay,
0: we'll we'll discuss this after.
1: Okay. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> very good um and another thing is two episodes ago we spoke about money 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 exactly and uh as always we got some wonderful comments and feedback from listeners and somebody sent us a great link to a video save that money by little dicky <laughs> uh who's a great rapper um, that I've always liked, but I hadn't actually listened to that song before and um, our correspondent said that it made him think of it. it. was brilliant. I mean, the whole concept is about making a rap video for as little money as possible. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot that really, you know, struck a chord with me in that um, I sort of felt affinity with it but then i got into a bit of a little dicky hole and you know was sort of clicking around watching <laughs> i heard it as soon as i said it, I it, as as I said it. <laughs> you, you got
0: caught in the little dicky little, sand, yeah. the little dick sand. <laughs> any love island fans and star um, listeners will know exactly where that comes from carry on darling
1: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, so I was listening through some of the Lil Dicky stuff, and there's this great track that he does called Professional Rapper. Mm -hmm. Basically, the concept is where he's applying for a job as a rapper, and the guy interviewing him is Snoop Dogg, As I'm sure you can all imagine, the person who's been playing Snoop Dogg in this version of it (laughs) is Heather. The obvious choice. (laughs) The obvious choice out of both of us. But seriously, what we mentioned in the money episode is that jobs is another big area where class divide and stuff can shake out. And we've had some interesting correspondence in the past about that. And there was this wonderful sort of half a verse in this uh, song, Professional Rapper, that I think summarises something that I've thought about for a very long time but hadn't put down as articulately um as well before so what we're going to do is perform for you (laughs) the relevant bit of the little dicky track professional rapper um i'm going to be doing little dicky i'm going to be doing i'm not going to try and wrap it i'm just going to sort of half wrap it in a kind of american accent so the rhyme scheme (laughs) works and Heather's going to be playing Snoop Dogg. Remember, Snoop Dogg is interviewing me for a job as a rapper. And he's asking me about my hometown where I grew up and like what my background is. So the, the bit that I think really speaks to me and uh, class relations and jobs goes like this. I was born out of Philly, grew up in a little city old town called Cheltenham. It was in the suburbs, upper middle wealth around.
0: So real shit, you ain't never had to struggle for
1: much? I wouldn't say it like that, we just had a different kind of trap. Elaborate. Well, I ain't never had a tool, but I had to be the man at school. Like, I was doing shit I had to do so when I finished undergrad I'm cool and I can get whatever job I wanted.
0: But the job you wanted wasn't all that bumping.
1: Yeah, and I saw it quick, all the flaws that be coming when you grow up like that. No, you've been racing them rats, you ain't never been making them raps.
0: Boo hoo, what a hardship. <laughs> How are you paid to get the rap shit started?
1: Man, my bar mitts for money. But don't diss me, buddy. I wasn't one of them young uns up on the block who had nothing to lose. I must have wanted this a lot. I had something to choose. What a stunning performance! I Executed think everybody would agree. Flawlessly, <laughs>
0: not even. We're
1: definitely gonna at Lil Dicky in terms to watch out. It's
0: gonna come back to haunt us in future. Not me. Periods. I remember
1: growing up as a kid having dreams of like being like Eminem. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Eminem show was a massive deal for me growing up. So let's just analyze that a little bit. I thought that was super interesting as though it's because what he's saying is I love being a rapper more than anything else mm. but um, I'm very different to all the other rappers because like, the usual story is you know you come from tough background wherever it might be and rap is your way out it's like a release you look at the stories of people like Eminem or NWA or whoever else it might be mm. but what he's saying is I had something to choose that I actually had to give up to go against the grain to go and do this and we spoke about this in our money episode which was I had this half-baked theory that actually you might get more successful working class entrepreneurs because they've got nothing to lose they really go for it and we identified what I called the sort of maintenance obligation Mm. of coming from a posh or wealthy background and I think that that actually has a lot to do with it and what he describes there about well if I just did what I had to do at school then I could get any job I wanted and that's like a big deal to try and give it up because I have something to choose Mm. I think is so interesting and when you look at statistics like seven percent of people go to public school but they dominate law and finance and uh, politics and all these other things in the media I think a large part of that is to do with all sorts of uh, prejudices and advantages they have and stuff like that, but I think as well that it's because of the sausage factory.
0: Yeah, yeah. This the sausage factory is our our term where we've sort of lamented getting going into the sausage factory where you're all just pushed through and you're like perfectly churned out yeah. little sausages exactly. <laughs> at the other side of it. And once you're in it, you've got no choice. You're just going to be a sausage.
1: Yeah, you and and so you you have your sort of life horizons limited mm. to job in the city is it going to be law banking insurance management consultancy what you're going to do
0: yeah and um, I, I mean it's it's a really interesting thought but I have to say i i am with snoop on this <laughs> <laughs> i really struggle to be empathetic with this as as an issue yeah um which i don't like myself for in in a lot of ways because you know, everybody has their own particular brand of problem. But you know, some problems are just nicer problems to have. Yes, that's Um, totally right. So it's, it's not that, uh, you know, I don't feel for people in in that kind of, um, that kind of situation, but I, I definitely struggle to, to sort of care as much about it that sounds so bad no
1: no 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 no, no, no. i think that's totally fair this is not some ridiculous plea for sympathy (laughs) or like oh my god i've actually got it really hard i know that actually being posh gives you all sorts of advantages and and, you know i'm not bringing this up um to say that actually we've got it no no you're definitely not i'm just saying that i thought it's so interesting the way that it was Mm. phrased and described and that when We're talking about money, and then now when we're talking about jobs, I think that that is something to bear in mind. That actually, there's um, like I see this in law all the time. I think people just get into it unthinkingly Mm -hmm. because it's just like, Well, what do I do? All right, well, what's what's sort of expected of me? All right, well, this is one, this is like a quote unquote good job. Well, I'll, I'll just go and do it then. And there is something to do with, as we said before, that maintenance obligation where it's like, Oh, well. You, you're not going to choose any of the low-paying jobs are you you're going to choose one of these ones that's acceptable because it pays mm. x amount and it has the right sort of kudos around it so off you go go and be one of these three or four things
0: and is and is that why you went into the law like with were those factors that all played into your decision making
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of important things. One of them, obviously, was the money is appealing. But definitely a big thing as well with it is, uh, and it sounds a little pathetic perhaps, but there's that thing of, oh, well, you get a certain kudos with it. And that's as simple mm. as if you tell sort of your parents and your parents' friends, "Oh, I'm going to be a lawyer," then they all sort of shake their head approvingly, yeah. and then that that's great, and you know that all is well in the world because you're doing like what's expected. That's so- really
0: interesting because I know I know exactly what you mean, but from my perspective, that's always like, you know, it's a recognised job and it's a recognized good job and one way you have to be clever so the Mm. kudos that around that that is around it is kind of similar but it's a slightly different lens on it yeah it's more about like there's a pride thing on getting to that sort of job or position and all of the various things that it means to get there whereas for you it sounds like oh yeah that's perfectly respectable that's a very decent job it's befitting of you it's not below yeah, yeah. you so so that's quite interesting how like from like there's certain jobs from both sides of the class divide that are um desirable
1: yes and i think i think that from my perspective is it's more a thing of not falling below the standard mm. rather than achieving above it sort yeah. of thing. I can, Im-
0: I can imagine that that's quite difficult, this idea of maintenance and the pressure that one must feel to go down certain paths that you might not want to go down, maybe. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if you have more opportunities open to you, so it's kind of like that... that um, point we landed up on in the money episode about there there being no dignity and kind of having to do something because mm. really money is about freedom choice yeah. and choice yeah. exactly and it and it's and it's kind of in a, in a weird way like like the money that's already existing in the family is actually more of a restriction necessarily than a something that enables you to to be free to choose to do something that you want to do
1: it can be but as I say, this definitely shouldn't be any kind of like plea for sympathy. Um it's, no, no, it's a interesting I'm... observation, I think. That yeah, that I'm grateful to our listener for putting us onto a little dicky um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, sure to... I am just yeah, <laughs> <if> I'm
0: honest. <laughs> the other aspect of, of the kind of job stuff that we haven't really talked about mm. um which I thought thought would be quite interesting to just touch upon because I'm not sure whether it is really cla- class related and it's actually one of the things that makes um makes us more British I guess rather than uh, subdividing us um subdividing us by class but um you will know watching the English by by Kate Fox
1: great book and a great resource it
0: is amazing we actually try not to consult this before <laughs> we... <laughs> Record a podcast because we kind of want to just have a um, uninfluenced conversation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then whenever we read back her work, we're like, oh, God damn, she's just, <laughs> she's on it. it. She's an anthropologist. Um, and so she studies English culture. Anyway, she's got a whole section on work and she says that basically people always look at the English being a bit confused about what our work ethic is um, because we're kind of somewhere in the middle of like, we don't really think that it's a sacred obligation, but we don't also view it as like a kind of heavy burden. We, we take a sort of weird pride in it, um, but not kind of too much. And there's a couple of rules that she came up with, which I thought were really funny from a class perspective. And she says, we indignantly disapprove of those who avoid work, from minor royals at the top of the social scale to the alleged doll scroungers at the bottom. But this reflects our strict, almost religious belief in fairness, rather than a belief in the sanctity of work itself. Such people are seen as getting away with it, Mm. idleness, while the rest of us, who would equally like to be idle, have to work, (laughs) which is just not fair. Um, and I thought that was really funny, actually, that this sense of like fairness is a thing that yeah. kind of cuts across the cluster.
1: I think that's right. Um, and
0: yeah. that we, you know, we we apply that sense of like, well, they're idle and I want to be idle. Yeah.
1: So damn there. I'm going to write a letter.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we did have a listener write in about some job stuff. Um, a couple of months ago actually, but unfortunately it wasn't official correspondence. So I can't even name him. No jingle. Shouter, no no. There's no now Which is quite helpful really, because we're on the topic mid podcast, mid episodes, and it would feel a bit weird to add a jingle in now, don't you?
1: Know? <laughs> there's always room for more jingles.
0: <laughs> so uh my my friend who who wrote to me privately works in the civil service, as do I, um and he mentioned um that coming from a kind of pretty working class background in Manchester, working in the civil service, we've both kind of reflected on the fact that that felt a little bit different, like how we could some, sometimes both feel a bit other. We are surrounded by lots of people um, on the grad program, for example, that went to very prestigious schools, a lot of people that went to a uh, private school, um, although I have to say many, many, many people didn't at all. But my friend now works in the foreign office and he said the culture there is so different in terms of people's backgrounds it's very much people from a privately educated background now the interesting thing is, is that civil service is actually a really diverse employer yeah that makes sense um in a lot of ways as as it absolutely should be when you're um running the country know, and yeah, administering <laughs> essential public services um so we talked about setting up a, setting up a kind of um, a support group for working class people in the civil service. How did that go? Uh, I, I mean, we talked about it for a bit and then didn't do anything, which is classic civil servant stuff, Come isn't on. it? So. <laughs> <laughs> we drew a
1: few like diagrams. We kicked the idea around. We tested it with focus group, and then exactly. we scrapped it. And it was great. Yeah.
0: Um, hey. <laughs> Sorry. Now then. I can say it, but you can't say it. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's, that's the rule.
1: So what do we think is going on there? Why the Foreign Office?
0: Diplomacy is a thing that the British have been known for for many hundreds of years. It's It used to be, I think, a completely separate arm of the civil service. Right. It wasn't actually de- a department for a very long time. Um, so I think something of the history of the foreign and commonwealth office is um something kind of fundamentally different there's also something that's just vaguely untouchable about it in the sense that i don't know anybody who's been a diplomat i don't right. know what that that process looks like um it's all quite alien to me about what sort of yeah what sort of job that would be um so it might be that it's just like any other job in another government department but it it, but it feels just slightly different and it's a bit intimidating that's
1: very So i can't believe it we didn't even plan this at all but i might be a sort of living example of what you're saying (laughs) because i never seriously thought about getting into the civil service or the diplomatic corps but i do remember when i was on my gap year um going okay, traveling yeah. around sort of Latin America I went to Colombia and I ended up having breakfast with the um, ambassador for the United States of America oh to Colombia at his house uh, which was pretty cool but I had breakfast there because he's mates with my parents and I also I know the uh, other friends of my parents have been diplomats in like Nigeria and other places like that yeah. so if you you've, yeah you've just um, described it really well uh, I uh, you know we hadn't talked about this before the episode but you're right if I was to try and get into that area I might you know make some calls exactly. um, and I don't think yeah. that my parents necessarily have those connections um because they're posh. I don't really know how they came about. They're just sort of quite lucky. But I guess maybe it's just sort of circles that you move in.
0: Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about, about the kind of having networks point. So yeah, you would have somebody to call to say, what is it like? Is this a job that I might want to do? Can you put me in touch with somebody? Um, And you know, that's no bad thing. If you've got those connections, I absolutely don't blame you for, for using them. Um, I think it's really important to have like diversity of thought and um, background in the civil service, which is why I don't actually believe that um, the FCO are actively trying to recruit people from um, your background. I think they're trying to do um, the absolute opposite of that for quite a long time. Um, But you've got people like me who've been on the government grad scheme. So, you know, arguably within a cohort of people that's most likely to kind of go there and even i find the prospect of it quite intimidating it kind of goes back to the confidence point that we've talked about of like i belong here yeah you know why shouldn't i be the one who's going and trying to do diplomatic relations with another country why shouldn't it be me um maybe you just need to have that sort of mindset to to put yourself forward in into that sort of institution and that just works really well because ultimately diplomacies about negotiation and about influencing and about networking and so many of those skills that you need as a diplomat are kind of what you're brought up with in um, wealthier households. We were talking about this the other day and I think I made the point that from a kind of outsider's perspective it seems as though Networking and socializing is something that you're kind of brought up with and taught mm. at quite an early early age. Yeah, um, not necessarily as a kind of strategic decision, but that's just the kind of way that you live life. So, even thinking about dinner parties, for example. My mum never held a dinner party when I was growing up. She might have a friend over for tea. Um, but, you know, it wasn't Slightly like... Slightly different proposition. Very different proposition. And it wasn't like, oh, we're, yeah, we're having the Joneses over for dinner.
1: Yeah, um, so we've got to get a lovely bottle of wine. Yeah, out exactly. That, yeah. that
0: just wasn't like... That just wasn't part of the culture, I guess. So um, there's, yeah, some of those softer skills that are so important in that as a job role... Feel like something that, that maybe you're just like set up mm. set up with a little bit earlier that Don't is I? very interesting i'm yeah. talking talking about something that i have absolutely not no experience of either from a class perspective or working in the foreign office so just shooting in the out my ass. we
1: have to say dear listener that contacted us that it's very interesting that you picked up on this stuff and there's a few very ill-formed thoughts from us as to why it might be the case
0: so that's sort of one reflection about jobs and um i guess the job choices that we make i when when we were thinking about this episode i thought of this in two ways though kind of jobs that are posh Mm -hmm. like that's a posh job or um and that being separate to jobs um like industries that posh people go into yeah and and it's a venn diagram and they're quite you know, they're quite closely overlapped, but I don't think they're um I don't think they're the same thing. No. And so when we were chatting just before we came to record, um, we came up with a sort of matrix of intersectionality between jobs and class. <laughs>
1: this this <laughs> should be the basis of like a PhD or something. It definitely should it's be. amazing.
0: So if you imagine you've got class on the X axis at the bottom is that
1: the horizontal one
0: that's the horizontal one good remember across goes across
1: oh that's nice very Um,
0: good and uh, then on the y-axis you've got kind of I guess if you go from practical jobs to Mm -hmm. all the way to kind of very academic jobs. Got it. And I think of it as a sort of nine box grid. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're middle class and, you know, a bit practical and also a bit academic, yeah, you might go in to be um, a recruitment consultant, let's say.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that works perfectly. Mid-
0: the middle middle. <laughs> um, so If you are, uh, you know, posh and middling in your practicality in academia, you might go and be a vintner. Lovely. Might be good with the wine. Yeah. Uh, You might also be, I don't know, a marketing assistant at one of these nice sort of British heritage brands. Brands, absolutely. That feels like quite in that range yeah or you suggested if you were sort of more practical but still posh like an estate manager i think
1: that would be an excellent role so for... what is that again so well an estate a same amount it's kind of what it says on the tin so you've got like a couple of hundred acres whatever it might be there's sort of some paddocks and lakes and horses <laughs> that need looking after and a shoot that has to be run so you get an estate manager they'll probably have been to which is the university that trains all the estate managers? Is oh, is, is it? Right? Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know
0: there was an actual university for it. Yeah, time. well,
1: pretty much. And like their their student union, for example, is an old tithe barn from I think like the 13th century or something. Amazing. Ridiculous. And everyone there has like guns and horses and whatnot. Um, and Range I've rovers. Never heard of it. Sirens Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super posh uni um and yes you will employ your uh, estate manager but I don't think that most estate managers earn very much money so I think that like to be interested in that area and to know about it often you'll be from a very posh background but you probably wouldn't be able to be posh like standing on your own two feet I don't have this completely wrong but I think it's sort of you need to be from the right background to fit in and be interested in it a lot of the time but there's going to be like a posh hierarchy above you because they'll be like the landowners whose land you are working on. So
0: I was about to say, what about kind of posh farmers?
1: Well, yeah, again... Because you've got a it's... range
0: of different farmers, haven't you? I know a few posh farmers.
1: Yeah, and um, well, they probably have inherited the farms. Yeah. Um, Going out on a limb. So it goes back to the whole multi-generational mm. thing. So I'm not sure that you're going to get posh farmers who for the first time raised some capital and bought a few fields... But you probably have got um, posh farmers whose mum and dad and their parents before them are running this farm and, uh, you know, they have picked it up and run with it. Mm. Um, now what's wrong with that?
0: Now? T- Learning the lingo. Oh, I'm rubbing off on
1: <laughs> <love>. <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, so, so I think that there's like a certain type of farmer that um, that, goes, that, that yeah. goes with a certain territory.
0: Interesting. So yeah, so we'd like to get your your thoughts. If Always. you're like middle middle, what sort of job is that? If you are academic but kind of working class, what does that what does that look like in terms of a job role? Um and yeah, any thoughts on posh uh, posh and jobs? I definitely the dating angle to this, I think is really interesting. So if you're dating, do you secretly look for a certain type of job because mm-hmm. it like, you know, portrays a particular bit of class maybe somebody being on you know a certain bit of the social scale I definitely know people who do that uh, but interested to hear if you do too where can people tell us their thoughts on this Max
1: well if you want to email us you can send us a lovely written message to poshthingsmyboyfriendsays at gmail.com
0: or you can uh, send us a message on twitter and instagram at poshthingsmy if you find us on Apple Podcasts, you can also give us a little A, a little, little like.
1: review and a little five stars. A little five stars. Oh, However many stars you think is appropriate. Just five, five, five stars. <laughs> answer, <laughs> um, that would be brilliant. And
0: that will help other people to find the podcast as well.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. ta right. Bye. Uh. Who what a hardship.
0: How you get paid to get the rap shit started?
1: You added an extra "get" in there. It's just how you paid to get the rap shit started.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: It's alright.
0: I don't believe I did say that, but at least we've got it on recording. Carry on.